I appreciate spending some time talking about stuff that maybe nobody cares about, but that's my entire career. So I'm here for it. <laughs> Well, Wando Barnhouse, I'm thrilled to have you here on The Other 51 this week uh, for many, many reasons. you got a great career in journalism to talk about. we got stuff to talk about with what's happened in journalism. But I'm thrilled personally because I remember you, and this is dating both of us is rather old, but I remember you from the sportsjournalist.com message boards of the early 2000s. Yep. There was a lot of good uh, give and take. I, I, maybe that was before uh, message boards got mean and nasty, but <clears throat> there, you know, and there were some threads on there that were uh, silly or maybe didn't really hit the spot. But I thought it was a really good clearinghouse for other journalists to get together and talk about topics that mattered and. You know, and there are a lot of, at that point in time, there were a lot of writers that were uh, active in the business that, you know, I think nowadays writers have to do so many other things than write hmm. that they don't have time to spend. And I don't think we spent a lot of time, but it was a nice place when you had, hey, I got a few minutes, I'm going to check into sports journalists, see what's cooking and hey, I'm going to comment on this or, hey, I, you know, let's uh, somebody's talking about this. Oh, well, that's interesting. Let's delve into that. And so it was kind of um, I don't know, was maybe it was a um, it was a coffee house, I guess. Well, better, better a bar. Yeah. <laughs> a bar without the alcoholic beverages. Well, many of us were having alcoholic beverages while we were on <laughs> well, the board. That's probably true. Uh, but yeah, a uh, good point. Um, uh, you know, and so, you know, there were some people that were obviously anonymous, um, which, you know, was good and bad. But I think that's kind of... Um, that was just kind of the way I think things people were approaching that social media stuff that, Hey, I don't know if I really want to want people to know my name. So maybe I can be a little bit more honest because you didn't know if your boss was reading what you were talking about and you could sell anyway. Yeah, it was, it was a mess then. Now it's, <laughs> it's a mess everywhere, including, <laughs> including Twitter. I, uh, it's funny because I had a pseudonym. I was Jimmy Olson. I think there's an underscore oh, yeah, in yeah. there too. Okay, good. And, hey. uh, and nice to meet you. Um, and uh, it is funny. <laughs> so for the younger, for like my my students or younger students who may not, people listening who may not know what a message board is, because that's how old we are. Uh, yeah. This is this is the is kind of like the closest thing now. I think is Reddit. So Reddit's just yep. a bunch of message boards. So this was like yep. pre-social media. And as you were talking, it, I found it fascinating that we brought up the anonymity because you were one of the few people I remember. There were others, of course, but the, you were one of the higher profile people I remember who used their real name. Uh, you're, you did not have a pseudonym that I remember. It was it was your name. And I remember Jeff Perlman, I think, didn't have a, a pseudonym. Uh, Jason Whitlock, back before he was whatever he is now. No, let's not um, go there, please. No, let's not go there. Uh, but he <laughs> didn't. So I'm, I'm, and it is just such a an interesting artifact, I think, of that time on the Internet when you didn't have your name. Like, like it was more noteworthy when you had your real name on something like that. And I think the pseudonym was much more common. And it's interesting how it's kind of flipped 
the script flipped over the last 20 years. So why did you have, why'd you not go anonymous? Why'd you have your name fully out there? You know, it's funny. I remember myself as sock puppet. Oh yes. I remember that. Uh, yes. Because okay. It was, which at the time, because at the, the time that I got into it was the early two thousands, which seems like three decades ago rather than two. But anyway, uh, I was um, <clears throat> not a fan of George W. Bush, who I considered a sock puppet. So that's why I took the name. And uh, but I think in some of my posts, I probably outed myself in certain ways. But um, yeah, and I can see where somebody like Jeff Perlman, who um, I don't think he cared whether or not he uh, went anonymous. I think he's just going to say, hey, I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm in pretty much, I think at that point he was an independent book writer. And, you know, I don't think he was, I think a lot of us were worried that again, we were going to say something that our employers, you know, if I wanted to, you know, rip the star telegram in Fort Worth where I worked, uh, or even be somewhat critical or say something that, you know, I mean, it was like, you know, you could, you could get in trouble. And so I think that's why there were a lot of anonymous people. And I think that's why I did it. I just didn't want to, you know, and, and at the time I wasn't in where I was going to be, you know, I didn't want to be mean spirited or really take a lot of shots being anonymous, but I just thought it was better to, and I like sock puppet. <laughs> it's a good which, which which was a joke only to me. I don't know if anybody else got it. <laughs> so you described you sent me some incredible information about your career and the stuff you've done to prepare for this episode. And and in that you describe your career in sports journalism as a happy accident. What do you mean by that? How did how did this how did this <clears throat> lifelong career happen for you? I just I didn't go to college. I started, I would grew up in Columbia, Missouri. I was going to go to the University of Missouri. I talked myself into a job at the Columbia Daily Tribune, which was the afternoon paper in Columbia, right mm -hmm. out of high school. How and why that happened is not worth going into, but I ended up, and I just, and when school started in the fall, you know, I was living at home and I didn't really feel part of the college experience. You know, it was great. I was at one of the, I was in a town with one of the great journalism schools in the country. So I was, oh, this is perfect. But I would have, benefited from a gap year it, you know every it's like you know everybody oh you get done with high school you got to go to college and if i had that job and say oh, i think i'm just going to work at this and see what happens and then maybe after a year didn't start up but everybody gets on that track where okay you're 18 now you're 19 you got to go to college and it's like you got to be graduated by the time you're 22 or 23 and that's the way life works <clears throat> i flunked out because i didn't go to class because i was working at a uh, afternoon paper and in the mornings i would stay and help with stuff and uh, i don't need to go to biology i took biology in high school <laughs> so anyway and then i just started working full-time and i got jobs and i i was you know that was from the you know mid-70s to the early 80s <clears throat> in newspapers you could pretty much say you know what i want to go somewhere else and you could put out you know you could keep an eye open and say hey i think i'm gonna go go here there were jobs available you know and i was able to get a lot of jobs that helped my career and i just kind of you know i 
transition from being a writer to being an editor, which helped me later on. And um, then I went back to writing and it was just, you know, I just was in the right place at the right time in a lot of things. And so, and, you know, I, I, I worked hard, I think, and I, you know, I, I, I earned, you know, my career, but I was also fortunate in a lot of ways and um, very thankful that things just kind of worked out in my favor. So, uh, and looking over your your resume and the work you did, it looks like you had like 13 years of layout experience and editor experience before you kind of came back to to writing. I'm curious, how did that how that experience as layout and editing, how did that help you when you went back to writing every day and covering a beat? Well, the the layout aspect when you know when you're kind of the um, um, when you're in charge of the sports section, no matter how how big it is, um, you know, you design the pages, you decide, OK, I've got space for this game story here. And you tell the you know, you get on the phone with the writer, say, I can take uh, 18 inches from you, which for the people that don't understand, you measured inches with a ruler for the space. And it, uh, the rule of thumb was 35 words per inch. So a 20 inch story was 700 words. So you would tell a writer, okay, you got this much for your game story and you need to try to hit that mark. And so you would design the pages and then you were in charge of making sure that the pages got laid out in the back shop and then it would go to press and you'd have a newspaper the next morning. And I spent most of my time um, earlier in my career, not on a night, uh, on, not on a morning paper. So I started working nights and, you know, those deadlines, I mean, there are deadlines for an afternoon paper, but deadlines at night are because the games are getting over. You got overtime, you got game delays. I mean, you know, you are juggling a lot of stuff. So I understood how important it was for the writers to make their deadlines and write to length. Because, uh, you know, if a guy filed a 25 inch story for an 18 inch hole, it's like either the editor editing that story has got to cut it down. Or when you get to the back shop and you're saying this story's too long, you just have to whack it. And that's never good. So I, I kind of learned the inside, you know, how a sports section is put together every night and my time on the desk editing stories. <clears throat> you know, I I. I would, you know, I would just, you know, I'd say this is a clunky sentence, you know, and I would just, you know, minor change. I wouldn't totally rip up the guy's story. I wouldn't change the lead. I mean, because you didn't often have time. You couldn't call the guy back and debate his lead for five minutes. You just, and so again, it was just like, eh, I'm going to make a few word changes here. This, this sentence could be, you know, a little bit shorter or whatever. And so, yeah, and then I got, I sort of understood more about working with words, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're working with words to try to describe a game or whatever. And, and I, I also learned a lot when I was in Atlanta for a year and a half, I had a great uh, mentor on the desk, a guy named Art Brooks, who's one of the best line editors I ever worked with. You know, it used to be when you were doing an, uh, baseball roundup and the AP story would come in and somebody would say, and uh, so-and-so plated three runs in the bottom of the night and he would change it to plated to scored, mm -hmm. you know, because plated or, you know, they, they carded a, this golfer carded a 63 and, you know, he regarded all that stuff as cliches. 
it's like, you know, say what it is, you know, you don't, you know, and so I did a lot of taking an AP story and, you know, cutting it down to just more of the facts and getting it just down to basic words and no cliches. So I learned a lot from that. So then when I went, then when I ended up going back to writing full time, understanding what the desk needed uh, as far as me getting done on deadline and writing to a length and also trying to be just a clear, simple writer and not try to flower it up with a lot of cliches or whatever. Um, you know, you still try to be creative. And that was the thing that would really drive you on deadline. It was like, you know, I would sit there and say, okay, what's my lead? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and um, so that, that that's kind of, you know, how it evolved. And again, like I said, I was just sort of fortunate that I wanted to be a writer. I ended up being ended up being an editor for a while. And then when I got back into writing, that editing had helped me out. It's it's funny you mentioned the, the layout and cutting a story. And I imagine this was back before pagination on the computer. Yes. So it was like physically yes. like not yeah. like you can't kern it or like trim a word and make it work. You're actually like cutting exactly. the, the text story off of it. Do you remember uh, a moment when you were back writing maybe that first year or so when doesn't have to be the first year either, but like a lesson where you remember something from the desk or you remember it like that, you, you kind of had like the aha moment as a writer that, Oh, my experience on the desk is paying off right now. <laughs> uh, well, one, one time it was, it was just an, it was an argument with an editor. It was, okay. more, it was uh, and I've told this story quite a few times and it's, it, when I was covering college basketball and it was a the regional final, I was in Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky. And so it was a Sunday. Uh, the, the final regional was over. So the final four was the next week. And my, uh, one of my assignments, in addition to covering that regional final I was at, I was supposed to do kind of a early preview of the final four. And so I was working on that and put it together. The backstory, this is when Mississippi state made it's only visit to the final four i think it might have been 96 yeah um, it was the year syracuse so, made the final yeah yeah yeah. and mississippi state was playing syracuse in the final four semifinals mm-hmm. prior to that and obviously I'm, I'm working at a paper in texas but before in the season before jackie sherrill was the football coach at mississippi state they had played texas the previous season and he had before his uh, team played Texas, he castrated a bull because they were playing <laughs> Texas. That was his inspiration for Mississippi State. I think I've heard that story, but it's still great. Yes, Never yeah, gets old. It is, it's, it's, you know, Grant Taft swallowed a worm and Jackie Sherrill and, you know, Google it, folks. Google Grant <laughs> Taft and swallowing a worm. So, you know, I'm doing a little kind of like bullet point things and I'm trying to be clever and it's like, okay, you know, and uh, Mississippi State's going to be facing Syracuse um, in, in the Final Four semifinals. Uh, no word if Jackie Sherrill is going to show up and castrate an orange. <laughs> uh, you know, I sent it in, you know, and everything. And, I, I, you know, and in those days, but it was before cell phones, really. So the, one of the things as a writer when you're wrapping up and you're done, and I was I was one of the last people in in the press room, and I called the desk, say, "Hey, it's Wendell's here. Uh, anybody got any questions for me?" The guy gets, "Hey, yeah, we got a guy gets on." And he says, "Wendell," he said, "I don't really. You can't castrate an orange." 
you know, and I just like, okay, wait, wait a minute. You know, I said, do you, do you understand? <laughs> I was like, do you, do you understand? Like, I'm trying to be kind of clever. I mean, it's like, I know you can't castrate an orange, but this is a kind of a joke and whatever. So we went at it for about five minutes. He finally gave in and allowed it to stay. But, you know, that's one of the, and again, you know, it's like, hey, he didn't get it. Maybe it wasn't something that anybody would get. And I just thought it was clever enough to leave it in and, you know. But as far as any aha moments, I, I I don't know other than the fact that I would always feel like, okay, it's 1135, that's my deadline, and I'm writing the national championship story from a basketball, you know, national championship, and at 1134, I, or you know, actually, you know, whatever, I would hit the deadline. Mm-hmm. I might not have been satisfied with the story, the next day I would read um, somebody else's story or see it on the internet and say, why didn't I write that? You know, (laughs) but you know, it was like, Hey, I did my, you know, it's like, I did my job because they they're in there. They, you know, they got other things going on quite often. The national championship game on a Monday was the same night that the Rangers were opening the season, maybe, or the same they, 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 so, I mean, they have, you know, Rangers has got a big thing, you know, they've been handling that, that all day and maybe there's something else going on at night. I wasn't the only guy they had to worry about, mm-hmm. but I had to make sure I got my stuff in. So I wasn't a problem. And so I don't know if there are any aha moments in particular, but it was like understanding that that's my job and I've got to do it and do it as well as I can. And when the time comes, boom, you got to send it. Uh, first of all, castrating oranges. I think there's a John Thompson joke to be made there, but I don't really <laughs> no, have it right now. Also true. Yes. But anyway. <laughs> So there's uh, a naval orange count. I, I, uh, I yeah, a lot of places we could go with that, but uh, we're going to, we're going to steer clear. And uh, you mentioned about doing your job and hitting your deadline. And in the, uh, in your kind of career retrospective that you sent me, you said you kind of view yourself more as a craftsman than an artist as a writer. And I'm wondering what you mean by that. Well, but as I just got through saying there, you know, there were so many writers that I had admired and then suddenly I'm out there writing. You know, I, I work with Ivan Mazel, who was a great college football writer, recently kind of retired, I think. Um, and he actually was a young intern in Atlanta from Stanford when I was working there. And then we ended up working together at the Dallas Morning News for a few years. And, you know, he would just, I mean, it's just one of those things where as a writer, I would read his story. And it's just like, it just that's perfect. That's a perfect sentence. Or that's a perfect paragraph or that, you know, there, the, he describes that just, you know, I mean, it was just, it just, to me, the, it sang, you know, and, you know, occasionally, I mean, I, I would try to be, you know, clever with my lead and maybe have a few clever transitions, but I was also, you know, and, you know, if I had a really, you know, it's, writers love to have a good quote to hang in somewhere in a story to be able to riff off of it. And if I'd gotten a good quote, it's like, oh, this is perfect and go with it. But um, so, I mean, but by craftsman, I'm, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I understand uh, subject verb agreement, which these days, I don't know if a lot of people do, (laughs) but I mean, I understood how a sentence should be structured, which sounds very simple, but you know, just in, in trying to get getting the facts together and understanding as I'm riding along that, okay, I've got a certain length here. 
and I can't get all this in. So what's important that's left? I need to make sure this is accounted for. And you know, so and it's the about the right length. And okay, time to send it. Boom, I'm done. And um, so I, it, it was more. <clears throat> and like I said, I would read other stories. You know, Gene Wojciechowski was another guy. Um, you know, and you know, I, I, I once he. He got kind of mad at me once because I said, man, I said, you really know how to turn a phrase. And he, <laughs> I don't know why he took that as, you know, maybe he thought I was being a smart aleck or whatever. But I mean, that was, a, you know, I mean, I would, I would see all these other writers and it was like, you know, like I said, you know, after a national championship game, when I'd read other guys' stories, and I'd say, man, mine just didn't measure up. Interesting point, though, I would go back or I did go back. I kind of put together my own little bio during COVID just basically for me and my family. And uh, I went back to the Star-Telegram and read some of the uh, stuff online. Uh, and, you know, and a couple of my stories, okay, that was pretty good. You know, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't as bad as I remember it. The, the main one was the Duke-Kentucky uh, regional final um, in, uh, see, that would have been 1992 in Philadelphia, the Leitner shot. Yeah. I remember sitting in the press room after that game was over. It was one of the best games ever. We are sitting there at courtside, and it was over. And I remember thinking, I don't know how to write this. I really don't. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to get in. I don't know what to leave out. You know, and then I went back. I read it here, you know, 30 years later. And it's like, well, okay, that wasn't as bad as I remember. But <laughs> like I said, I would, I, you know, I just considered myself, look, I've got a job to do. I'm going to do it as well as I can. And that was it. So yeah, that that's kind of what I meant as a craftsman rather than an artiste. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the Leitner game. Cause I wanted to to talk a little bit about that. Um, first of all, just what was it like covering that game and being there? You know, we've all seen the shot a billion times. I remember watching it when I was yeah. growing up. Um, what just tell us what that, what that, arena was like and that game was like and being being a part of it as a journalist and and, and a, an observer of it just walk us through that night you know it's different i mean i you know i i admit to the fact that i'm kind of a um uh, closet duke fan and our son who is 29 has been a duke fan most of his life because of that he actually paid a lot of money to go to shashevsky's last game in durham uh, year is like you know he didn't never he never told us how much he paid for the ticket but he said i gotta be there for that game you don't want to know that means you no, don't no, want to no, know no, no, no. I, yeah it's fine <laughs> um, anyway um so i mean my first year of covering college basketball was 1986 when they went to the final four here in dallas and i ended up covering a lot of their games that year just because i was going all over the country and i was in a lot of their big games and i really enjoyed their players on that team and i you know at that time shashevsky was not coach K as much. Um, but so I'm there and I'm kind of, you know, I, I don't know if I'm so much rooting for Duke, but I don't think anybody gave Kentucky any chance just because, you know, they were still the scrubby guys. I mean, they had Jamal Mashburn as a kind of a superstar, but he was a, a freshman. And, and so the game's going on and Kentucky is just going toe to toe and Duke is playing about as good as they can. It wasn't like, oh, this team's got a, you know, they started off bad. They were going at it from the beginning and it was like man this you know okay they got a five point lead no now they've come back and you know and you started thinking can kentucky really do this 
And this, you know, Duke's trying to be the first back-to-back -back champion for decades. And I'd actually written, I don't think Duke's going to be able to repeat this year because I understood with college basketball, it's a 40-minute game. And if you have one, two or three bad minute, a bad stretch of minutes, two or three bad minutes, you're going to lose, you know. And that really never happened. But the thing I remember about that game, it had two game-winning shots. The guy from Kentucky drives and makes the shot with a, a really tough shot with 2.1 seconds left. And then Leitner his, hits the shot that everybody on the planet seen. I was at the far opposite end on press row on the second row. I mean, you know, it was one of those deals where obviously there was a lot of people were there uh, media wise, but I was like, my seat was the next to last. So I was beyond the baseline um, on the opposite end. And I kind of stood up and, and it, it was a blur. I mean, it's like, you see the long pass and, and you made the shot. What, wait, wait a minute. What happened? I mean, you really, you needed TV replay. And I don't know if it was easy to actually see it. You know, now it would have been on Twitter within 10 seconds. You could have watched it as long as you wanted, but it was crazy. And I, and it was, um, you know, the, the things that I missed were multiple. I don't know if anybody's ever, if you remember seeing that replay, Leitner shot goes in, Duke play. There's a shot of Thomas Hill, who was a Duke starter, uh, but he was on the bench for that play. He's got his hands on his head in the what we know as the surrender cobra now. You know, he's got his elbows out. And it looks like he's crying. It's it's like he's got this expression on his face of, you know, that they lost. It's like, I can't believe we made this shot. And that's, you know, it's like one of those things that I would have loved to have known that. Get that in, but, you know, you so, and it, you know, it, it's like he... Again, like I said, it was it was a surreal moment because you just can't imagine that happening. And, you know, and then, you know, the fact that Leitner was 10 for 10 from the field and 10 for 10 from the free throw line. Perfect 10. I didn't see that in the box score. I didn't get that in my story. It's like, what the hell are you thinking? You know, I mean, seriously. I mean, so, yeah, there's just so many, so many things that, uh, you know, and so it's just um is one of those memories that will always be there. And, but yeah, the, the atmosphere um, for me was like uh, a lot of games. I've been watching games now on TV where like uh, the Colorado, uh, Colorado state game, I say, I felt my heart beating in my chest watching that game. I was nervous. I was like, and that I would get that way in a close game, not just because I was on deadline, but just the game itself was compelling enough where I'm like, what's going to happen here? Mm -hmm. I'm wondering. You want to know what's going to happen because you got to write about it. Right. How long did you have from Leitner's shot goes? What, how long did you have for your deadline? I, it wasn't that bad because it was, uh, I think it was, a, it was a Saturday. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was the last game of the day. So I think it got over, you know, it was probably over at six or seven. And so I, I, it wasn't so much on deadline, but like I said, it was this deal of, and I've, I've learned this lesson, you know, the story was probably in the Kentucky locker room, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the coming so close after what that program had been through, you know, the getting your heart ripped out kind of thing. That's where I should have gone. I went to Duke locker room because they won. And, you know, but, 
you know, I had plenty of time, but I just remember sitting in the press room. And that's the other thing. A lot of times somebody says, oh, well, my deadline's not till, or the my final deadline, deadline is not till 1130. And I worked with a lot of writers who would sit there and say, well, I'm going to take the whole clock. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I, you know, I felt like if the game, you know, two hours after the game, I felt like if I wasn't done and, you know, maybe there were two hours left until it was time to be done, I was screwing over the desk because they're going to have other stuff coming in right at the last minute. So I can't just sit here and, you know, massage my story to perfection, but I had plenty of time. It wasn't a deadline thing. It was more of just realizing that this was one of the greatest endings and greatest games ever. And it's like, I have to write one of the greatest stories. (laughs) That it, Leads me right into the next question because yeah. you've covered that, you know, that story and some of the other stuff you covered. You covered the the uh, Boise State game when yeah. they were in the bowl and, you know, all these great games and probably the Duke one is at the top of the list. So when you sit down, how do you kind of manage that that attitude that, you know, capturing the 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 spirit of this thing, which is very clearly in the moment, one of the best games of all time, one of the best finishes. How do you kind of manage that kind of desire with oh crap i gotta get something done you know what i mean like how do you not let that pressure overwhelm you and and do what you do well yeah and and the you know the duke kentucky game is a prime example of it overwhelming me the the oklahoma oklahoma boise state game i didn't have any choice because it was a night game i mean it was i was totally on deadline and the outcome of the game changed three times in the last minute, practically. I mean, Boise State was ahead, you know, and the deal was back, or usually what happened, with five minutes to go in a game in in a college football game, you could leave the press box and go down on the field, which in, you know, it was kind of stupid, but sometimes you could get up to a player and get a reaction on the field, you know, talk to somebody and get a good quote. Um, And, you know, obviously it was an exciting game going on. I was also pushing myself to do a column off that game because it was probably going to be Adrian Peterson's last game at Oklahoma. So I was writing a kind of a live column and I had most of it written, but I wanted to try to get a quote from Peterson and I thought I could get it on the field. So I'm in the elevator going downstairs and Boise State's going to win. And I had kind of written my story that way. And then in the elevator, we could hear the radio play-by-play at Oklahoma intercepted a pass for pick six and goes ahead. So now mm-hmm. Oklahoma's going to win. So I have to start reworking my story on the sideline. I actually put my laptop on top of a trash can <laughs> because I, I I didn't have a flat service to write anyway. So I'm redoing the story and then Boise state does what it did mm-hmm. and ends, ends up winning and over anyway. So I, that was like, but I was more ready for that chaos being, it was 15 years after Duke, uh, Kentucky, where I just knew, okay, I just got to write. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't think about whether it was going to be great or not. I just had to say, I got to tell people what the heck happened here. And so it, it was more me evolving as a writer, understanding that, okay, you know, forget about, forget about what you think you can try to do. You just have to do it and be done with it. And I don't know if you want to talk about this thing, but the other, the other thing that's evolved with writing is that Everybody had seen that game. Right. You're writing about something everybody had seen. And that's what's really changed a lot with writing these days because everything's on TV. Mm-hmm. So you're not giving anybody news that, oh, by, do you hear all, Boise State won this game in overtime. Did you hear about that? Mm-hmm. 
So that's changed greatly how people have to approach game stores. I, I do love too the how ca- it's such a newspaper, old school newspaper thing to just casually talk off. Yeah, I was writing on the sideline, put my laptop on a trash can to rework the story during the game. That's a, that is such an old that is such a newspaper yeah. guy thing to do. I love yeah, it so because much. Because there are no the newspaper deadlines now. That game would never make the paper. I mean, oh no, so many, no chance. So, nobody, so many papers now have a deadline of like six o'clock. Right, and it's ridiculous. But anyways, that's so. So, uh, so I always ask this at the end of every episode. So I'll ask you, okay. what's the best? What's the best thing you've read lately? Best thing I've read lately. You needed to prep me for this question. <laughs> it's always better when I don't prep you, because then. Yeah, I understand. I understand. <laughs> um, it doesn't have to be a sports story. It can be anything you want. I subscribe to this. Sunday newsletter by uh, Don Van Natta Jr. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday read. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are you know stories in there that are very compelling and you know, but there was a story in there um, about something that I had never heard of. I've always been kind of a war aficionado, but at, in the early 1920s, it was the worst naval disaster um, in peacetime. There were these destroyers going down the coast of California and they were on a speed run and they, you know, they didn't have the technology uh, that we have today. And they ran aground near Santa Barbara. And I think about 30 sailors died. But these these they ran they ran aground on the rocks. The waves were very high. And, you know, it's like the stories about what the the, the guys that were in charge, the uh, commanders of the the commander of the destroyer fleet it was one of those stories where to me when you're reading it and it's just like you're not like having to like plow through it you're just what's the next paragraph i mm-hmm. mean the guy wrote it very you know it's just kind of a tiktok type thing as far as this happened this happened this happened this happened but you know and it had happened a century ago practically i'd never heard about it but i was fascinated all the way through because of the details that he came up with and I don't think he talked to anybody, you know, that's still alive, but he did his research from what they had said. And the guys were court-martialed, et cetera, et cetera. It was just a compelling story about something that was very well written. And again, was not flowery. It was no, but it was just, you know, it's the, you know, nobody's going to remember this, but it's Jack Webb from Dragnet. Just, mm-hmm. just the facts, please. You know, and, yep. and sometimes a story that just has facts in it and again i was interested in it because i'm interested in that kind of stuff somebody else would have said i don't want to read this but that's probably the best thing i was just over the weekend and there's probably when we're done with this i'll think of 10 others that were probably better. <laughs> sure i'll put a link to that story in the show notes and to uh the sunday read newsletter that don does because it's yes. outstanding it's it really you will not be able to read everything that's in no, there no, no. there's so much Which but it's great it's yeah, great because it gives you an up, uh, opportunity i save it and sometimes go back yep and pick out the ones i want to read Absolutely. Well, Wendell, this has been great. We're going to have to do like a three hour version of this at some point where we just start going, but I appreciate your time this week. Thanks for joining me. Hey, you're welcome.
Thanks for listening to The Other 51. Thanks to Wendell Barnhouse for appearing on the show and for, in fact, offering to be on the show. If you'd like to be a guest or just want to drop me a line, then you can follow the show at The Other 51 Pod on Instagram and the one formerly known as Twitter. Uh, if you like us, rate us, review us, find us where you find your podcasts, and our theme music is by Ellie Moritz. Talk to you guys soon.